So one of the projects was to pitch a Night of the Living Dead game to George Romero. He would then pick which project he liked, uh, and then we'd spend a semester making it. I was a fan of horror, a fan of zombies, a fan of George Romero. So I was like, how do I get on this project? I don't all the other projects and it kind of built this story of like okay this guy lost his daughter there's a girl that lost her dad her mom was a senator that lived on the east coast there on the west coast zombie apocalypse happened the night of the living dead apocalypse and she puts out a reward to say if anyone can deliver my daughter i'll let them into this quarantine zone this safe haven sounds familiar that becomes a goal for this guy so he like all these groups now chase to try to get this girl because she's worth so much in this world some of the elements that actually made it all the way through the eventually the last of us pitch it to george I'm super nervous going in front of George Romero and pitching. He hates it. Really? <laughs> He's like, where are my characters? Where's the thing? Like, this has like almost nothing to do with Night of the Living Dead. What's up, guys? It's Logic. Hey, what's up, guys? What's up? What's up, guys? It's Logic. Are you all hear me? Is this what you want? Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Welcome to Logically Speaking. I'm your host, Logic, but you can call me Bob. And uh, our guest today, I'm actually nervous in introducing you. Oh, that's weird. Our guest today is arguably the greatest video game creator of all time. Now, oh, you can I, argue I, would, that. I would argue against it. I would argue for it. <laughs> I'd love to see you and Hideo just go toe to toe in a boxing ring. Anyway. Um, director, writer, um, it's a million award winner, Neil Druckmann. Hello. Welcome. Uh, hi, Bob. How are you? Now I'm nervous. <laughs> I wasn't nervous before, but, um, we talked about doing this months ago. Yeah, we did. And then there were strikes, all sorts of things happened, but thank you so much oh, for, of course. for coming. This is my little break. Well, I guess we'll start with, <laughs> um, tell me about your life growing up. I want to know what your household was like. What did it smell like? What did it look like? What did it feel like when you were a kid? Oh. Uh, as far back as I can remember that far. Yeah. So I had a weird childhood for, at least from what is familiar here in the U S for most people. I grew up in a town in the West bank in Israel mm. Um, called Betelier. Um, my parents were kind of crazy that uh, they started this town. They were the first 12 families. So it was a bare mountain where they brought um, with a crane, they dropped these like one bedroom, hot, like cubes, essentially, for people to live in. No sewer, no electricity. Uh, so they brought in a giant generator and then they slowly built it out. And, um, you know, by, by the time I left Israel in 1989, I was 10, uh, there was like 120 something families that lived there wow. and it was like big and flourishing and there was like a public pool. Uh, but it was, it was a little strange again, compared to what I was, I moved from there to Miami, Florida. So that was <laughs> a big culture shock. Didn't quite speak the language and uh, quite understand everything. Um, but just to give a picture, it's uh, classrooms were really small. Like there were like 20 kids in a grade wow. and you know, everybody like and yeah. you know, all the families and all the kids. So we we're all just kind of in one room and teachers would swap in and out. Um, and then <laughs> more than once, the principal of the school would come in and say, Neil, your dog, Snoopy, ran away. 
and is making a mess because I would, I taught my dog to like go to these public garbage pails uh, and grab the bag, the garbage bag and run with it. So he would run with it and then the bag would rip and just spread garbage all over the ground. So whenever he ran away, it would cause a huge mess. So I would have to leave the school, go get him, tie him back up, return to school. Dude, that's like, that sucks. Why did you <laughs> teach him to, to get I don't know, because I was a, a, weird, a kid. I didn't, there wasn't a lot to do there, by the way. So did you guys have like a, like who was in charge? Uh, there was like a committee that was in charge of, of, um, my, my parents were on that. Uh, uh, so my childhood was also a lot of gaming. So mm -hmm. I have a older brother, uh, Emmanuel, and he was from a very young age. He got into video games and comics and movies. So because of that, as far back as I can remember, I was exposed to that stuff. Wow. Um, so, you know, we had a Pong machine in the house and then later we had a VIC-20 the old like pre-Commodore 64 computer. We'd play games on that. Wow. And then eventually it was a big deal when he got a PC. Mm. And then we started playing <clears throat> these old school adventure games, uh, CR games were like King's Quest and Space Quest and Leisure Suit Larry. And I learned English so I could play those games because the interface for those games were like a text prompt. You would like type open door, pick up key. Um, so you learned English to play video games. So I, I would sit That's there with a Hebrew-English cool. dictionary um, wow. uh, so I could translate what's been written on the screen or what I'm trying to convey in the game. And you're how old here? Oh, five, six. That's five, <laughs> six, teaching yourself another language? Uh, but again, it's very, very basic sentences. The other thing, my parents, before I was born, lived in Canada for a little bit. So mm. they try to speak English in the house. So I understood more thing than the average Israeli at that age of like English. I could watch movies without having to read the subtitles. Um, and again, I was just so exposed to movies that like, again, from a, as far back as I remember, I, I watched Blues Brothers with my brothers and Ghostbusters. And then he exposed me to Star Wars. And um, you sound like Wade Watts from Ready Player One. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the kid who just loved art. Well, that's, uh, again, I, I, I didn't get much out of sports. Mm. Um, I had but a you're shredded. You're like ripped. Well, th these days, you know, as I'm getting <laughs> in my mid forties, I try to be healthy. I try to eat healthy. I try to work out. Yes. Uh, I wouldn't describe it as ripped, but this is the healthiest I've been in my life is, is here. Uh, but yeah, back then it was just a lot of video games, movies, uh, drawing and kind of trying to express myself through art. Never, never at that point realizing that that could be a possible career. Um, it was just all for fun. So you moved to Miami and what was that like? What, what brought you there? Um, yeah, my, um, through some political stuff that uh, I'm not going to get into, uh, you know, my parents got a little bit disillusioned and, um, my uncle had a business in Miami, Florida, my dad's brother. So they saw it as an opportunity to move and we moved to Miami and, uh, it was, it was wild. And like, again, imagine like just growing in a little town where you know, everybody to a giant sprawling metropolis where you don't know anybody, you barely speak the language. I mean, I, I could understand, I could conversations, but my grammar was awful. My vocabulary was very limited. Um, then first year I went to a Jewish private school, which I hated cause you had to wear like a, a uniform. You had mm. to pray every morning. Just wasn't really my thing. Um, but, uh, one of the earliest things we did, uh, well, we first, we landed in, um, New York where we had some family there. Uh, 
And I remember first landing and being a little disappointed because um, we, we weren't in Manhattan. We we're uh, in Long Island. And I'm like, this doesn't, this doesn't look like the movies. You know, I grew up again, dreaming about going to the US. Like I, I would look at photo albums of my brother having gone to Disneyland and dream of the day I would get to go to Disney. <laughs> and I would like countless times just flip through those albums. And then um, we finally took a, a train that became a subway and we walked out onto like Times Square. And I was like, there it is. Yeah. This is this is the United States I've imagined in my mind wow. while having watched those movies. Uh, and the other thing that happened is we stayed at um, a cousin's house and he had this console on Nintendo. And then back then in Israel, consoles weren't a thing. It was just PC games. So we're like, oh, it's a whole new library of games. Let's just go game by game. My brother and I just started going game by game and playing them. Wow. And then there's this one game we got stuck on. I was like, and we, we spent a little bit longer than all the other games. And then we moved on and we're like, let's go back to that one game. And again, I didn't know what any of these games were. It just kind of speaks to the genius of this game. And um, it was Super Mario Brothers. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, and we're just like addicted to it. And we felt so smart. We're like, oh, we found like one of the warp, like the first yeah, kind yeah, of warp holes and warp holes and, yeah. and, and, um, I became a Nintendo kid at that point. I was like, I had to have a console. My parents bought me my first Nintendo. I, and the first game I bought was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Classic. Uh, which was really hard. One of the hardest games I've ever played. Yeah. Um, and then I was just like a Nintendo kid for a while, just buying all like the latest games. And then that's when I, I, I started realizing, oh, there's certain developers that make better games than others. Because mm. um, I would buy like Who Framed Roger Rabbit because I was really into it. Not a great game. Yeah. Uh, Fun but concept. Then, but then you buy Super Mario Brothers 3 and you're blown away. It's yeah. like, it's incredible. Wow, man. That's, and so when do you feel like, I mean, I guess, what did you think you were going to do? Like, what did you <laughs> think? You know, you're a kid, you're playing games, yeah. you're, you're going to school. What, what did you want to be? What did your parents want you to be? What did you think your life was supposed to be? I, I, I was pretty directionless for a while. I was really into comic books, mm. especially when we moved to the U.S. I found this like local comic book store on 163rd Street. I would go to it all the time. And uh, I got Sin City when I was way too young to have Sin City, but it was super inspirational. If you look at Last of Us and you look at Sin City, there's a lot of overlap there. Um, so I started having dreams or fantasies of like, what would it be like to be a comic book artist? And I would start to draw all the time and like study anatomy and about like how to draw comic books, books yeah. and start to following those instructions. So that was a dream for a while. Um, and then it, it shifted when I went to college. I went to Florida State initially. So you're what, like 18? Uh, yeah, 18. Okay. At the time, it was the number one party school in the country. Um, not that I did a lot of partying. Uh, I just went to play from my, in my parents' house to play video games, to go to a dorm room to play video games. Love it. And that was a lot of like GoldenEye and WrestleMania and just a lot of like games Dude, that we GoldenEye, played. GoldenEye, let's talk about it. <laughs> I mean, oh my God. That, oh, like, that was revolutionary. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. There it is. That's all we need to talk uh, about. <laughs> so when I was in school, I, first year was undecided because again, I was kind of aimless. Then I switched my major to criminology. And the plan was- What the fuck? Yeah, yeah the, the plan was I'm going to study criminology- uh, which are some of those philo uh, philosophy behind laws I found super intriguing. Mm. Uh, and then I would get my law degree 
I would then use that to become an FBI agent. Okay. Get really cool experience, like a molder or something from X Files, <laughs> and then use that experience to write novels. That was that was my long term plan. Wait, why don't you just why don't you just write the novels? Because I was like, oh, I don't, have, I don't like, have experience. I don't have enough life experience to write stories. Like, I, I, I feel you. But I, <laughs> I, I I somehow wrote a New York Times bestseller. Yeah, I, 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 I was an idiot. I didn't know that you could just write. Um, so I did that for a while, and then in my third year of doing criminology, and you know, criminology damn, is damn three years. <laughs> uh, and criminology, you take these um, math and science for non-majors. So they're not as intense. Mm. And then I took as an elective, I took a programming class. Ah. And in my mind, I always thought, I'm not that technical. My brother was the very technical one. He's the one who always put like our computers together. But programming came relatively easy to me. And I was really enjoying it. There was something about speaking to the computer and almost like it's learning another language. Um that all of a sudden this just, just almost immediately this light bulb moment happened. And it was like video games. Wait a second. People make video games. That's a career. How do people get into that? I, I had no clue at the time. I was like, but then all of a sudden I had this shift. I was like, I'm going to make video games. I don't right. know how I'm going to get into it, what I have to do. And then I went back to like my counselor and I was like, I got, I want to change majors. He's like, well, you know, you took all these classes that wouldn't count. Like I, I was like, I want to switch to computer science. And he's like, well, you took all these science and math classes that won't count towards that major. You would have to retake all those classes. I'm like, I don't care. Whatever it takes. Wow. Uh, and I went, for, I, 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 in high school, I was a C student, CD student. And uh, when I became a criminology major, I became like a B student. As soon as I wanted to do video games, straight A wow. student. See, that's, and just a side note here. Like, <clears throat> I heard that a lot from my teachers that I was lazy and the thing is, is like, I always thought that for a long time, I thought I was lazy and I just realized, no, I just, this sucks. Like I'm not into this, you know, and anything you're truly interested in, I think you will just flourish. And that's like a prime example right there. Well, I think good teachers get you to see how this will apply to your life long-term. Like they get you to find the passion behind the thing. Like I wish I could go back in time, redo high school like do better on my literature classes, my math class, like just all those things that I have a better base of knowledge than I do now. I agree. But also like there's like crack dealers and killers in my house and shit. So when I was in school, I was like not giving a shit about anything. No, but I, I, I hear you. Okay. So, yeah. uh, so you're, you're programming, you're like, okay, this is my everything. You're taking it seriously. Um, during this time, are you like, like what, what, what is that Eureka moment? Like, are you making your version of Frogger? Like, what, what oh, are you, right. how are you seeing it? So I, I, again, I, I didn't quite know what to do. Um, I, I found this, uh, professor, Dr. David Banks, and he was a graphics professor at Florida state. And, uh, I only found him cause he was host. I don't remember who he was hosting. He was hosting someone that was related to game development to give a talk. Hmm. So I went to see that talk. And afterwards I was like, how do I, how does one get into it? I started chatting with him and he's like, uh, and through our conversation, he had me come work for him as a TA. So I was working for the graphics lab at Florida state. And this is like 99, 2000. Yes. Yes. Cool. Yes. Around Whoa. that period. Um, cause I know it comes 13 years later. So early, it's really early, early 2000. Anyway. Um, uh, so then he was like, uh, okay, you want to get into games? Have you ever made a game? I said, no. He's like, why don't you start there? 
So I got a book on like how to make video games that like it walk you through from beginning to end how to do a side scrolling shooter. And I programmed that like I followed every chapter I programmed that. And then I was like, OK, let me try to reverse engineer Super Mario Brothers. So let me take this engine that I just wrote in Windows, this very simple 2D engine. And instead of having be a side scrolling shooter, I'll make it a platformer. And just getting into like the physics of the character and just making the mechanics feel good. And then I, I teamed up with some other people and that worked in lab that were better programmers than me. And we made this top down shooter and programmed that. And then again, this professor was so good at like really pushing me. And he was like, have you ever gone to a conference, like a, a gaming conference? Mm. And I said, no. And he's like, search for the best one. I'll send you there. I'll pay for it. Wow. So I found, that's when I first found out about the Game Developers Conference. And he flew me out to, I don't remember at the time where it was. I was in San Francisco, it was somewhere else. doesn't matter. I was there and I go to see all these talks. One of them is by Jason Rubin, the co-founder of Naughty Dog. <laughs> and he gave this talk about how games just can't be about graphics anymore. And like the talks about just the future of games. It was a very inspiring talk. And I was a fan of Crash Bandicoot, Jack and Daxter. So afterward, I went and, bu and bugged him. I went to talk to him and I said, hey, I did this platformer. You guys make amazing platformer. Can I show it to you and get some feedback? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. We, <laughs> we, we don't do that. Like then if we make something similar, you could sue me. So yeah, just yeah, as a yeah. policy, we don't do that. And I said, OK, um, do you hire interns? Nope, no interns at Naughty Dog. We have a policy not to hire any interns. And I think he could see I was a little disappointed. He's like, he's like, but. You never know. Here's my card. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I took the card. Damn, didn't have to do that. Didn't have to do it. And he, <laughs> in hindsight, maybe you shouldn't have. I flew back <laughs> uh, to Tallahassee. And as soon as I landed, I took the card out. I started an email. I'm like, well, the platform you didn't want me to show you, here it is. Here's the <laughs> link to it. Um, again, I would love to work for you in any capacity. Again, I was just, um, and then I, I left, I did some stuff, came back home and I had a message on my answering machine. Remember answering machines? Yeah, I do. Uh, the real tape, the real <laughs> mini tape. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, hey, by coincidence, we are looking for an intern for this very specific role. I have to go to Europe to do a press tour. When I come back, let's talk. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just I just got in. I got into the game industry. And then two weeks pass, I don't hear from him. Mm. Three weeks pass, I don't hear from him. So I'm like, fuck. So I start, I, I send him an email, don't get a reply. I'm like, what do I do? So I call the front desk at Naughty Dog and I ask for him. So they transfer me to him and I'm like, hey, I'm that student you spoke with. You left me a message. He's like, oh, right, right, right. Listen, I'm so sorry. We gave that job to someone else. Oh, my gosh. And this is one of those moments in time where like I was so upset and frustrated. Like you must have felt this, you know, when you're so excited about something, you're about to have this breakthrough and then it's 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 not there anymore. <laughs> yeah, bro. Tell me about it. It's my whole life. <laughs> but I was just like, I was like, you know what? I swallowed my pride and I said, Hey, you know, I really, I just appreciate you talking to me. You didn't have to, you didn't have to give me your card. Let's keep in touch. She's like, Hey, you never know. Maybe in the future will be another opportunity. Um, by the way, do you want me to keep going like this? Just tell you my whole life well, story. Trust me, I'll dig, I'll dig in. We're okay, going to get, right, it's, uh, it's very important <laughs> that my guests, I, I just, I love, I love hearing up until a certain point. And okay. then, then I got some questions. I, I go back to my professor and, and he said, you know, I'm like, I, I thought I had this internship. I don't have it. Uh, and he's like, okay, well, uh, what's, um, what are some good master's program where people go to video games? I said, I don't know. So I started researching and there was one that really caught my eye at Carnegie Mellon that was called entertainment technology. Mm. It was like a relatively new master's they've developed that combines storytelling and programming and art. And I saw that some people have left from it and gone to work at like places like EA and worked on the Sims. 
So I, I again, t- on his own dime or like the, the money he had for the lab, he flew me out there to interview wow. at the school. What a guy. He was awesome. And, and I, I, I haven't done a great job of keeping in touch with him and I should, I should shoot him a, a message. Um, I haven't, I haven't done that with a lot of teachers. That's, that's a thing I should, I should try to do. You know what? But it, like in this moment, it's a good realization. Like, yeah. dude, you, you, you know, your father, your family, you have employees and ideas and you're working and working and working. And sometimes it's just simple moments like this yeah. that remind you. And when you're in the car, you might start calling a few people, <laughs> you know, I uh, feel the same way. There's be, there's some, and, and especially for guys like us, like, bro, I already know your Rolodex is like popping. Like so many people have your number, email, this, this, this. this. And it's just, it's so hard to keep up with people you genuinely love. I saw this meme on the internet that was like uh, adult friendships be like, and then it's a text message and it's like, yo, what's up, bro? It's been forever. Let's hang out next June. (laughs) Anyway. I I get that. You're Uh, all good. Don't worry. It's sometimes hard, you know, being an introvert and you're like, you, you keep playing a, a conversation in your head and you want it to be perfect. And you're like, I'll just hold off on that conversation until I can make the perfect version. And then I just never do it. Yeah. But you just got to YOLO it and be yeah. like, yeah, what's yeah, up? I, I, Even I, if it's five minutes, sometimes I, I'll call somebody and it's true, but I'll be like, Hey, I'm, I'm heading out the door in five minutes, but I just want to call you and say hello. Or sometimes it's just a text or an email. Just be like, Hey, I thought of you. Like, really appreciate you. Yeah, that's you. a real, that's, that's pretty dope. That's why I always send you nudes. I, and I appreciate them. They made me feel better every time you do. <laughs> For shizzle. Okay, um, so you go to this thing. Anyway, uh, let, let me try to make me see I could speed it up. I, I, so no, I, we got all the time in the world I, and I, people I, are <laughs> listening because they want to know the story. And I'm asking you these fucking questions because I want to know the story. All right, all right. So everybody else out there, fuck off. So I go to, uh, I get accepted to Carnegie Mellon University to this program. I was super, uh, super stoked. I, I get there and um, the first thing that, I noticed were, again, it was, I forget how big it was. It was like maybe 30 students or something, relatively small program. And everyone was just a genius. Everyone was like, and I, fe- I felt like, what am I doing here? I haven't done much in my life. And all mm-hmm. these people have already done so many amazing things. I felt that a million times different in I'm feeling it right now. I'm like, <laughs> hi, well, how can I interview this guy? Anyway, continue. Um, so there was this, from the get-go, this friendly competition between all of us. and But this camaraderie. And... Mm. The hardest I've ever worked in my life was in this program wow. where I would like stay awake for multiple nights to finish a project. And the hardest class I've ever taken in my life was the first class you take in this program was called Building Virtual Worlds. And the way it worked is um, you take a, a group and of different people of different disciplines. So I was usually the programmer because that was my background. And there would be like an artist, a producer, a designer, and you'd have two weeks to do a virtual reality experience um, and this is 2002, 2003, 2003. Um, and again, the, so the, the, the programming is relatively primitive. The hardware is really primitive. It's not like today where VR is like in a lot of people's yeah. homes, um, two weeks to do it. And then you present it in front of the class. It gets critiqued to hell and back. And then you break up that group, put a new group together, and you have two more weeks to do the next one. And you, we did it like four or five times throughout the whole semester. Wow. And you would think that class is about virtual reality and like how to, the class was about collaboration. Mm. How do you work in a group and how do you come together when you have some people that are strong, some people that are weaker, a concept that might all, all come together. You have to agree because there isn't necessarily a leader in that group, right? And like people might have different ideas. And then at the end of each one of those sequences, you would get this piece of paper 
where you have to list three qualities that you liked about the every person you worked with and three qualities they could improve on. And you give that to the teacher. At the end of the semester, you get a thick packet, what everybody said about you. And I've kept that to this day. Really? Yes. It's like getting voted off in Survivor. <laughs> because you see patterns and it's like, okay, if one person said it, then, you know, they're, they're probably wrong. Yeah. If everybody says it, oh, this is something I have to work on. Okay. So what uh, were your top three positives and negatives? I, I Not know, negatives, uh, in, which you could improve on. The general through line was that I was a very hard worker, very passionate about ideas, but I was kind of a dick to work with because I wasn't flexible. I wasn't as collaborative. Mm. Um, I wasn't as open to other people, like changing the ideas. And that has stuck with me. And that that is like, like a constant reminder of, especially, you know, that was baby form of working on a game. Yeah. Uh, and now like, you know, at Naughty Dog, I work with 400 people at the studio and you have to collaborate and you have to really be open to other, other people's ideas that might be better than your own. Dude, that's something that um, I experienced a lot and still do in music, you know, because... And the difference is it is, it's my show, right? It's like logic. So <laughs> it's like, but there's also a reason these other people are there. And so I think for a long time, it was kind of my way or the highway, especially early on, like in the basement when I was like doing free mixtapes and shit and mm. just releasing it online. But then once we moved to California, it, I really... And, you know, you're, you're talking about camaraderie, man. It's like just me and it's basically all still the same people, but especially me and my, my boy six, he's my producer. He like makes all my beats and he's taught me how to make beats and things like that. And there's been times when he said something that was like hard to hear, like really. And he still does. And that's one thing that's always, and we'll get to this later. Cause I always love shitting on the internet, but the internet's so annoying, like fans and like people who like don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And I've seen people be like, yeah, he's just surrounded by yes men. And it's like, if only you knew <laughs> like how hard we work and how much these guys kick my ass. They'll be like, no, Bob, you got to do it like this. We should put the saxophone at the end because the way it'll resonate with the underlining flute and, da, 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 and all this other shit. And then sometimes I'm just like, no, <laughs> like, because I'm and it, but I'll explain why, you know, and I'll say the reason I don't want to do uh, the saxophone there is because we've already done it on four Actually, my engineer told me this, actually, let me, let me flip this. The other day we were working on an album and my engineer, I, I was like, okay, let's do like a fire escape sax, <laughs> like, like some straight Sin City saxophone, like at the end of this song. <laughs> and then I ended up doing it on like four records. And then I wanted to do it on another one. And he's like, bro, you can't just have a bunch of sax outros, saxtros. And I was like, okay, you're, you're actually right. Now I know this might seem menial, but it is those little things and just trusting the people around you because somebody somewhere would have been like, Hey man, this is, you know, you're literally just doing sexy sac saxophone at the end of. But it, it, that really resonates with me because everything we do are, are like a million little decisions yeah. that add up to slightly bigger decisions that add up to slightly bigger decision. And then finally it's like the whole thing coming together. So you worked with these people that was awesome. Where did you go from there? Yeah. So uh, another thing that was um, life changing, I would describe it as one of the classes that everyone has to take in this program. And again, this is a very technical program, but uh, you take have to take an improv acting class. 
because again, it's so much of it is about collaboration and improv acting. It's all about yes. And so, you know, you're there on stage with a bunch of other nerds, people that have never acted in their <laughs> life and they have to be on stage and act. And everyone is so nervous the first day, myself included. And then you just learn to just relax and just go with the flow mm. as, as cliche as that sound. Um, but that has stuck with me. And again, it's, it's a muscle that you have to exercise of, uh, cause I like what you were saying before, you know, when someone comes and gives you an idea, I feel like I should be able to defend every choice I've made. So when someone comes to me with a counter idea, I should either say that's better. We should go with that. Or I should be able to defend the original idea and strengthen it by defending it. That's how I feel in the studio. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I forget who somebody came up to me recently and they were like, dude, you're not a rapper. You're a fucking director. <laughs> I was like, what? They're like, yeah, man, you're a director. You get all these people together. You tell them what you want, how you want it. You know, I remember uh, Tarantino uh, when he was, I guess Reservoir Dogs was already written and he wanted to direct it. He was just like, well, how do I, you know, how do I get, get the shot to look exactly like I want? You know, it's like, I want the, like a red light and da da da. And I forget who it was. And it was a producer that he met. And like, you don't have to know how to do it. You don't have to know. <laughs> any of that shit. Yeah. What you have to do is have the right people in place, you know, your wardrobe, set design, this and that, and say, make it look like this <laughs> thing in my head. And when I read this, and I read that probably in like 2014, when I started working on my sophomore album, The Incredible True Story About Space. And then I really started to understand, like, I don't have to do everything because when I, I so I got signed um, to Def Jam by no ID. Who's like Kanye's mentor works with Jay-Z, all this stuff. And he saw something in me. And I remember the first time we, we ever got together, I was like, I was like, yeah, man, let me get some beats. And he's like making me beats. And I'm like, okay, now put these drums on that. And he's just, he just keeps looking at me like, it's fucking what? Like, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What, what is that? Like a hi-hat thing? Yeah. 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 Put that, put that over there on that shit. And he's just like, what the fuck? Like, he's just like, what? shut up. You know what I mean? Like I could re I could feel him, but then he stepped back. And later that night, he like <laughs> sat me down and he was like, yeah, you're a producer. I was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I don't know how to play any instruments. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to use any programs. He goes, that doesn't matter. You're a producer. A producer knows what they want and they have a sound in their head and they want to achieve them. And I was like, fuck off. And then, you know, over a decade later, I'm a fucking producer and I, and I feel that. So it's really cool what you're saying. I just really resonate with it. Well, it's just, it's such a weird job to be an artist that collaborates with so many other people because you have to on one level have humility and a lack of ego to work with and collaborate otherwise people would walk away they don't want to be told what to do they're they're experts at their field but you also have to have enough of an ego to say i want my art out there to mm. be experienced by millions of people and you have to have both of those thoughts in your head at the same time yeah it's a that's a scary one i think about that i'm like you know i was 17 i mean i was earlier 14 I wanted to be a rapper and it's all I ever wanted more than anything in the world and there was the, the moment that I knew that I could achieve this um is when my first love broke up with me because I was just not even really making mm. noise like that in my city but I'd, I'd played a couple shows I'd done a few things but I had just by then I'd had hundreds and hundreds of songs that I recorded on this like really shit pc and when she broke up with me 
I realized, no, actually she broke up with me and then we were like, you know, you're still kind of fooling around and you, you both love each other, but you can't let it go and you're all young and whatever. And I realized that I was being strung along and not like she's, I mean, we were kids, you know what I mean? But I realized I was being strung along and I had to make that decision for myself to focus on me. And then I realized that no matter how much time and effort you put into another human being, you are not guaranteed to get that back. And honestly, you shouldn't even expect Mm. to get that back. And I realized that the time and effort I put into my craft, I got back every time I wrote, every time I rapped, every time I performed, I improved. And and then it started to hit me like a fucking drug. And then I saw that there weren't many people like me and like, I can make a joke about being black and white and looking white. And I just did. And, but what I'm saying is like, for real, like to be in this, you know, black household, black family, but I look white. There was just a different perspective. There wasn't really many mixed race people in hip hop like that. And then also let alone that my message was peace, love and positivity. So I, I actually looked at it like a business. And so where everybody, and I'm like, 20, maybe 1920. And I realized that like everybody else is talking about like bitches and hoes and boats and yachts and all this bullshit. And I was like, no, that's not real. Like I could see it. Like Mm. I could see that like all these models were paid to be there. I could see that everything's rented and I'm broke as shit. I don't even know how I can't even, I'm not even old enough to like rent a car. And I just felt in my heart of hearts that if I focused on a positive message and selling myself as a brand rather than trying to conform into what everybody else is doing that I just might have a shot. And it was also because I was around other people who believed in me, you know, much, very much so like that professor and then, and then the group that you were working with, uh, to set me on my way, not to make this all about me, but I'm saying I really relate to what Mm -hmm. you're saying. Um, so please continue. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. So finished the first semester, loved it. Second semester, it, it turns into more of like a project-based program where there are, I don't know, eight or so projects that the school has. And you have to write a pitch of why you should be in each one of those projects. And you have to do it for all the projects because you don't know which one you'll end up on. So you got to have to write a whole pitch for like eight different things? Yeah. Of, of how you would contribute to that, to that project. Got it. One of the projects um, was run by a professor named Ralph Vituccio. He was our film professor. He had- Was he good, Italian? <laughs> yeah. Vituccio, what are you fucking uh, talking about? His good friend that lived in Pittsburgh was George Romero of Night of the Living Dead frame. Whoa. Creator of like the modern day zombie stuff. He so, was just homies with this guy? He was homies with this guy because they wow. both lived in Pittsburgh. Cool. Ah, uh, Carnegie Mellon is in Pittsburgh uh, for Pittsburgh. Con- contextual reference. Uh So one of the projects was to pitch a game, a Night of the Living Dead game to George Romero. He would then pick which project he liked of of the pitches. uh, And then we'd spend a semester making it. So I was like, I was a fan of horror, a fan of zombies, a fan of George Romero. Um, I love survival horror games. That that was my jam. Uh, So I was like, how do I get on this project? I don't fuck all the other projects. Mm. Now I know like the teachers, the professor always say, you have to think about them all equally because again, there's no guarantee. So, so I wrote something for all of them, but then for this one. So you just half-ass like seven <laughs> I, I, I didn't half-ass, mm. but this one I doubled-ass. Okay. Uh, so I. <laughs> Ooh, doubled-ass. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I made concept art. I just spent more time and effort thinking about it. I got on that project. So nice. I had to come up with a pitch for Night of the Living Dead game. I didn't know what I was doing. I, I, at the time, I played a game called Eco that I loved and f- super influential. Uh, and in that game, you know, you, you play this kid and trying to get this girl out of this castle and the main mechanic is holding her hand and kind of leading her along. Mm. And it, it really made you have an emotional connection through a mechanic. It's one of the first games that really like action games that made me feel emotionally invested in it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take that. I'm just going to steal that. Uh, <laughs> I, most, I, most artists. <laughs> I mentioned Sin City. So I was like, I'm going to steal Hardigan as like the main character that has this like heart condition and it kind of built the story of like, okay, this guy lost his daughter. There's a girl that lost her dad. Um, her mom was a Senator that lived on the East coast. They're on the West coast. This, um, zombie apocalypse happened, the night of the living dead apocalypse. And she puts out a reward to say, if anyone can deliver my daughter, I'll let them into this quarantine zone, this safe haven. Sounds familiar. That becomes a goal for this guy. So he like all these groups now chase to try to get this girl because she's worth so much in this world. Uh, and the mechanic was such that you're playing as this guy until he has his heart condition and acts up and then you swap and play as the girl and you have to protect the guy. This is awesome. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm super excited by this and it's coming together and like, you know, you start by copying stuff, but then slowly it becomes yeah, your own and you're course. putting yourself into it. And then they, I mean, my influence were pretty obvious and in, in the thing, pitch it to George. I'm super nervous going in front of George Romero and pitching. Wow. Him. So you actually got yeah. to. So he wow. came into, into, in, in, into our class and um, there were three pitches. So one was this pitch. One was like a, a jokey musical Night of the Living Dead game. And one was like a very serious uh, systems driven game where like you would build um, your house. It had the, and it had the characters from the movie. So I finished my pitch and he's like, wait. Shout but, out, shout out this. Uh, fucking siren right now. Okay, sorry. Okay, please continue. Uh, So pitch this thing. He hates it. Really? (laughs) He's like, where are my characters? Where's the thing? Like, this has like almost nothing to do with Night of the Living Dead. He was very polite about it, but I could tell he did not like it and he picked another project. Do you remember the project that got picked? Yeah, yeah. It was was a systemic um, where, again, you're playing the characters from the movie and you have to like board houses and how you interact with the other characters, you would build relationships with them. So I became an effects artist on that project. And I was like, I'm going to commit to just doing the best. And I did like fire effects and all this stuff working on the Unreal Engine. The project didn't do that well as far as building a prototype, but I love these characters so much. And again, this concept just stuck with me that then later when like I... I'm, I'm skipping some stuff, but I, I got to work at Naughty Dog. I just kept developing this idea. And I was like, oh, I could, I could pitch it as a comic book again. Cause I just, I was so, I was, I was becoming more and more into writing. Mm. So I developed it. The guy changed from being a cop to being this drug dealer. Um, there were some torture scenes and stuff. And, and some of the elements that actually made it all the way through the, eventually the last of us. Uh, I pitched it to image comics and I got a reply from uh, Eric Larson, who I like, I did Savage Dragon, again, a comic book I grew up as a kid, but he was the publisher. And he wrote me this very short email. I like it. I don't love it. We're going to pass. And I, I, I wrote back. I was like, hey, can you give me like a sentence feedback? Just anything. And he's like, your art looks really unfinished because I did all the art myself. Mm-hmm. So I spent a year working on the story and doing the first six pages. And I'm like, I'm not a good enough artist. So I shelved it. Um, 
And then I was, uh, I was so upset <laughs> again. It's like now like second failure for the story. I was like, yeah, and I wanted to do comics so badly, even though I was working at Naughty Dog at the time, I, I, I needed this other creative. And what outlet. were you doing at Naughty Dog at, at the time? Um, yeah. So let, let me catch up to okay. this other thread. Uh, so when I was back in school in the summer, they encourage you to get an internship in the industry and people work either go from that program to work in video games or museum exhibits or theme parks. That's usually the three kind of angles that exist. <laughs> Uh, so I'd gotten an offer from EA to work on the Sims as a producer. And then I sent an email to Jason Rubin. He said, Hey, uh, I'm not asking you for a job or anything. I just, I had to put a portfolio together. There's an intern. Um, they're asking us to look for an internship. I knew what I was doing. <laughs> I was fishing to see if there's anything there, but for I was like, sure. can you give me any feedback, any feedback at all? And Within a day, he replied with a bunch of feedback and told me like your, your portfolio is all over the place. You have art, you have programming, you have game design. You need to focus on one thing. Mm. Don't, don't try to do a jack of all trades. He was like, when you get started, people want to hire for you for one thing, not for six things. And he's like, by the way, we have another internship. Are you still interested? And I said, of course. Uh, it's a good thing you hit him up. Yeah. So I ended up getting an internship at Naughty Dog as a programmer. So wow. I started out as a tools programmer. My first job when I- The fuck does that mean? Okay, so uh, <laughs> uh, first of all, let me describe walking into Naughty Dog. Because okay, I, th I think that like you have to imagine you grew up your entire life playing video games. This is a studio that you've adored, the games that they've made. And I'm now in there. Everyone, for me, everyone there is a celebrity. Everyone there is amazing. For sure. I shouldn't be there. And I'm walking around and they're showing me they're working on Jack 3 at the time. And I get to see that. I'm like, I'm seeing Jack 3 before anybody else. Is First of all, <laughs> this is exactly how I felt. Not to interrupt you, but the first time I walked in to Naughty Dog and I met Kurt. Oh, yeah. And uh, I got to play Uncharted 4 before it was out. Okay. And so what's wild is, and um, obviously I kept my mouth shut, but we had, I had, was walking and like, there's people, programmers and shit. And I just see this grown, uh, flannel wearing. Yeah. Brunette. Like, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Is this what I think it is? And obviously, you know, last of us had been out and all this. And, um, you weren't there. Um, I forget who was I think there. we might've just met in the hallways, like a quick, no, like, I can't, hi. Yeah. I can't, I came into your office and you were super rude. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you were so nice. <laughs> I know actually. you're lying. Cause I didn't have yeah. an office back then. No, no. I, well, I came in. <laughs> I must've been, office. I think, you, you I, think so, I was like in Evan's office or something. something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I went in and I shook your hand. You were super, you were really very nice. And, um, yeah. And then somebody was like, yeah, that's, uh, that's last of us too. Shut the fuck up. I was like, okay, <laughs> I won't say anything. So, but it was incredible to be in this place because it's like, I'm, I really am such a fan. Like I genuinely yeah. like, you know, your games, their games, video games in general have truly, um, when I was younger, it was my escape from my household, from all mm -hmm. the negativity that I was surrounded by. And then as I've become an adult, it's become an enhancement. It's not because I love my life and, you know, your art has really assisted in my happiness to now, you know, that I have a family and I have a career of my own that like, there's nothing to run from now. They just make my, my life even better. So walking into that studio, I know exactly how you were feeling. So please continue. Yeah. Well, you're hitting the nail on the head, which is I, again, as kind of a lonely kid, didn't have a lot of friends. I just had my video games. I had music. I had things that that's what gave me purpose. Um, 
Anyway, so now before this gets too heavy, I'm in the studio. I'm geeking out. They're showing me Jack 3. And then um, Christoph Balestra, he was a lead programmer. He was the guy I was reporting into. He's walking me over. And he's like, over here, we're doing this new game. It's it's codenamed Jack X. It's, it's this racing game. We'll, we'll figure out the name later. Mm. End up being called Jack X. And the name never changed. Uh, but it was a Jack and Dexter racing game. And he's like, and then over here, we have a prototype of the next generation PlayStation. And it was like, a, a, it was just like a realistic guy kind of like running in circles. Um, they're trying to get the mechanics to feel right. And eventually that would become Uncharted. It still wasn't Uncharted. Oh, it was like a man. weird sci-fi project at the time. But I'm like, oh my God, not only am I seeing it, I'm seeing the next PlayStation hardware before it hasn't been announced yet. Wow. So I'm just, I'm just kind of inside. I'm just, don't freak out. Just yeah. act, no, act totally cool. Like this is totally normal. Like, uh, and the first <laughs> task I got he's like, look, I started this tool. I, I started uh, programming. You're going to finish it. It's called lame. I'm like, what? It's like, it's the localization asset management engine. And what this tool did was like, uh, you know, when we make these games, we, we make them in English and then you have to uh, localize them to all these different languages. So you have people in Europe, people in Asia, just send us like thousands and thousands of files and they have to be categorized and you have to make sure that every file has all the languages. So it was really building a database that could like accept the files, put them in the right place and flag anywhere you're missing certain files. Wow. And make sure you, you have the most up-to-date file. So I was like, okay. And I just, I tried to, as best as I can, to kick ass on this job. I was like, this is, I know I'll, I'll be, uh, uh, I'll be judged on this. And I, I did a really good job. And I, I, um, I made it clear that I, I was very interested in design and the creative side of things, even though I was hired as a programmer. So then pretty soon I moved over to be a gameplay programmer and then I was like, well, that's not good enough. I want to be a designer. Like, uh, and then so I would hang out with the designers. Any task they had that was like overflowing that they couldn't handle, I'm like, I'll do it. Just give it to me. I'll stay as late as possible. I'll do it. I know that right now it's like frowned upon to, to say like uh, I stayed late. But I would, I would regularly work till three or four in the morning. That's true. Different time. I don't want to hide time, it. But, the, yeah. you know, that was, my, that was my thing. I was like, I, I could work harder than a lot of other people. Mm. So I would uh, do any extra design work they had. Eventually I was able to switch over to design and I was like, I was really interested in writing. So then I became, I started to give feedback on the story until someone said, hey, why don't you take a pass at this scene? And I took a pass at it. I'm like, okay, that's pretty good. Why don't you take a pass at these scenes? And I was working on Jack and Daxter PSP. Damn, throwback. Um, so then that's being worked on. And at the side, there's this game called Project Big that was slowly becoming Uncharted. So I would be working on Jack PSP that was the code name for it. And then I would go into folders and pull like, like concept art and in progress trailers of like Uncharted. And this is guy's wearing chucks and he's got like a white t-shirt. And I was like, I was just like, this is like a, an amazing game. Like it's influenced by Indiana Jones. So it's just, it's happening on the side. I'm not involved with it, but I'm like, I'm falling in love with this yeah, thing. Wow. Uh, and then one day I get called in my boss's office, Evan, at, uh, Evan Wells. Uh, and he's like, look, Project Big is kind of in trouble. Um, we've lost a lot of people. The engine wasn't quite coming together. We have to cancel the project you're on. And he's delivering it in this very heavy way. And I'm like, if these guys tell me I have to go back to being a programmer, after being like into all this creative stuff, I'm going to quit on the spot. Oh, wow. That was going, going through my mind. And, and he's like, okay, so we're going to put you on Project Big. And I'm like, as what? Like a little defensive, like as what? And he's like, the same thing you're doing now, which, oh, is, wow. which is design and writing. And I'm like, Oh, then who cares? <laughs> I didn't care at all that the project was canceled. And that's when I started working, you know, more closely with uh, Amy Hennig, um, the creator of Uncharted yep. and uh, writing alongside her and like really 
getting my craft of writing under me. That the thing I've really loved about doing this podcast so far is giving my guests the floor to really introduce themselves and their lives because it's like, it's like, duh, when I say this, but literally we started and you were a little kid in Israel (laughs) with like 12 other families and now you're working on Uncharted. And like that's, you know, in the span of this conversation. It's it's crazy when you say that I go back to being a kid and playing games. I'm like, there's so many times when you, you must have this where you pinch yourself. You're like, how did I get here? How did I Yeah, but see, like I said, because we were talking before we started, I'm at a transitional period. I still definitely go, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm here. But now I'm like not sure where I'm going from here. And, you know, having two kids and approaching my mid 30s, it's like it is a little scary. You know what I mean? Because I don't know. I mean, like, do you see yourself, you know, making video games forever or do you have new passions Mm -hmm. arisen in you? Uh, I, I've had other opportunities that I've really enjoyed, like, you know, working on the HBO show. Of course. Um, working on Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios, which again, I, I love theme parks. So having done that. And thanks for inviting crazy. me. I felt, I was so mad I couldn't make oh, it. I apologize. We were in, we were in Oregon. So well, you should go. You could still have a chance to go. That's true. I think <laughs> I will. Justin just went my manager, actually. He said, Great. Yeah. yeah, he said he was. He said he, he enjoyed it. You went last night, right? Last night. Yeah, he was like, I was so scared. I was like, were there bloaters? <laughs> he was like, yeah, there there were, and then there was these really big things too. And I was like, you mean bloaters? He was like, <laughs> oh yeah, okay, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So I, I guess that, um, I don't see myself doing this forever at this scale. Mm. Um, it's just it's it's a lot, and it takes a lot out of you. Uh, it's just it's very stressful to manage that many people in multiple studios worldwide. Um, so, you know, you were talking about how like you're entering this new phase in your life where your kids are number one and I'm in a similar place where my kids are number one. And I know that especially my daughter is now 13 and I feel like this, she's, you know, life is pulling her away from, from me. Mm. And, cats uh, in the cradle. The <laughs> so I, I know that, I know that time is limited, so it's very precious to me and I don't want to waste it when they do want to spend time with me. Uh, and that's, that's number one. Um, yeah, so I, I've just at a point in, in my life where it's like you start looking at what's the end game here? When when does this when is it time to call it? And you know, I've been watching a lot of interviews with you know we're both big Tarantino fans, yeah. and you know his whole thing is like I'm going to make ten movies and that's it. And I'm, I'm very curious whether he sticks to that. I, I think he will because he's been just saying this for so long. I, I think he'll probably do other stuff like he'll do TV shows or he writes novels too. Once upon yeah. a time in Hollywood was a novel first. So I could see myself transitioning to something that's like more low key and lower stress. That still allows me to have this creative outlet. Um, but yeah. you know, I've started thinking about how many more of these games do I have in me? And it's, it's, it's not that many. Yeah. But it's also when you think about what goes into, especially these days um, and, and the types of games that you've created, um, it's no easy feat. You know what I mean? It's not just like, Oh yeah, let's do a sequel. You know, for example, like I'll never forget, um, like my true introduction to like gaming, like really, I mean, you know, obviously played GTA three and shit like that, you know, but like it was uncharted and I was 19 and I played it. So it was 2009 and I played that. And then like 
Uncharted 2 came out and I'd never seen anything like it mm. before. You know, like when it opened up and uh, the way you guys really fucked with perception, you know, he's sitting there on a train and right. he's like, oh, cool. Okay. This guy's on a train. He's asleep. And then you see he's not asleep. <laughs> he's knocked out. He's shot. He's bleeding. The camera moves and he's like hanging upside down and then shit starts falling. It's like, I'd never experienced anything like that. So for you to have and of obviously so many great people that you work with to have given myself and millions of people around the world that same feeling again and again and again and it's like got to be at least just as good what's really crazy is like if something is is, is like just as good even that's not good enough because it had <laughs> you know for, for the the public or whatever but you guys really outdo yourselves and i can imagine that that must just be well, you mentioned Uncharted 2. Uncharted 2 was the most fun I had making any of the games I've worked on. Wow. Because Uncharted 1, there's a lot of people that loved it, but it, it wasn't this huge success. Mm. It was successful enough, again, that we made Sony happy, made enough money. Um, but Uncharted 2, we felt like we had something really special. Like we all knew it. Mm. Uh, and we knew we were flying in under the radar and no one's going to expect what we're about to deliver. And I remember we, you know, we'd spend like late nights playing the multiplayer as well. And it was just, a, it was just this camaraderie and the stress wasn't there. That afterwards, everything has been incredibly stressful after Uncharted 2. Because now you're no longer flying under the radar. Now everybody's expecting something to be great. And you have to think, okay, how do we make it great? And how do we do it in a way that doesn't feel like we're just repeating ourselves? So you always have to make it great and new which is really, really hard. Yeah, welcome to my fucking life. <laughs> Are you laughing? That's literally how I feel, bro. And I know you know this. Well, no, you know, it's actually very similar now that I think about it because it's like people will come after like you. They'll come after like a person mm. and not just the art. They'll like talk about your art, though this, that, and it, you, you almost feel like you're backed into a corner and no matter what you do, it's not good enough. There was a time in my career, like especially after I you know, had like my first hit where I would go to write and just be happy and like listening to an awesome ass beat and just go to write and then be like, whoa, millions and tens and tens of millions, hundreds oh. of millions of people are going to hear what I'm about to say. And then it's just like that much pressure is crazy. And I, I did like four albums with that weight on me. And then I retired, but I, that was bullshit. I didn't really know. I, I thought I was retiring, but you can't. It's like, I love art. You know what I mean? I thought I was out. And they pulled me back in. And yeah, so I did that. And then after, when I came back, I went to write. Again, I also did a spite album to get out of my Def Jam contract. Mm. Um, it's funny because you just heard me talk about some shit <laughs> before. <laughs> anyway, but I did a spite album called Vinyl Days. It's uh, just the most hip hop. Like I didn't give a fuck. I produced like most of the beats on it and I just rapped. And it's like one of my most critically acclaimed like of the culture mm. albums because I had reached a point where I was like a sellout and I was so famous and so known and for making pop shit and all this other stuff. So when I did that, people were like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I thought it was really funny that when I, when I said, Fuck it. I'm literally like, I'll, I'm, bro, I got bars. I got a bar I just wrote recently and I go, uh, something, life gets hard, but they still test. I'm stealth mode, like Elian Hillcrest. So I just like, <laughs> like these bars, I'll just think of the most, like, I'll be rapping about Trigun and Cowboy Bebop and just like, whenever I'm in doubt of like, what should I do? I just go 
right from here. Like just write the most nerdiest real shit ever. But anyway, so with all that being said, it's like, I can relate to that where people expect everything to be bigger and better and this and that. And also that's not even necessarily what art is about, right? It's like, there's like this album that I just did recently. It's going to be one of my biggest albums that I've ever done. And so knowing that like people are like, you've already rapped about being a dad. And it's like, yeah, but now I'm a dad of two, you know, it's like my, my perspective has changed in this and that to know that everything you, you do has to be the best at all times. That's why, even though, you know, we're not like insanely close, I consider you a good friend of mine, but it's like, I think the reason I relate and I think we can relate so much to each other is because we're in a very similar situation that not a lot of people understand. So, and you know, I've had some, uh, dark moments in my career that you reached out and were mm. very, uh, generous with your words and time. And, um, I do appreciate that. Well, I, I appreciate you. You know, it's really funny when we first met, I was like, Oh man, I was like, I was, I was so nervous because I genuinely thought you were a cool guy and I didn't want you to just think I wanted something from you because I was such a fan. <laughs> I you, remember you, like we went to dinner and you said, like you gave me this whole monologue. I'm like, I'm, this dinner is not about me getting anything. I just want to chat. I know. I just want to drink some Japanese whiskey. Yeah, it's just so important <laughs> to me though. It's like, you know, cause I get it and I know, and it's like, we've also worked together and because we've worked together, there's just a part of me that's like, I'm not trying to smooze you for a role. No. You know, I'll just give you a hand job. <laughs> no, but yeah, no. So, but when we first, I, I remember I had, I had my, uh, what was the, the gentleman from Naughty Dog who you asked to intern? The guy? Oh, uh, Jason Rubin. Yeah. Yeah. So it felt like that because I remember, uh, I was there with Kurt and that first time I played Uncharted 4 and then somehow I was like, Hey, I might've even gotten your number or something. I don't know. But I was just like, Hey, we should, we should have lunch. I remember, I remember getting lunch and you were like, okay, all right. And I was like, yeah, let's just go get lunch. And you're like, all right. And then, and then I remember being like, Hey man, just saying, you know, if you ever want to put me in a video game, like, <laughs> but I meant it. I was like, I'll play a trash can, dude. I was like, I'll fucking be whatever. Cause it was just such a, uh, it, like, think about this. Okay. Your video game, right? So The Last of Us is a game that, I mean, I've beat it now 20 plus times. It's sickening. I just play it all the time. Like, I don't know why. I just love it. It's just like my happy place. And it's like full of death. Anyway. And so I played this game, bro, for 10 years straight. And think about it. Like very much so yourself, like walking in, like hoping to intern Mm. and going from an intern to like the boss, you know, which is amazing. Like- I have no fucking idea how I befriended you, Ashley, uh, Steve Bloom, like, like so many, Troy, so many of like my icons and my favorite people. And I could go on like Seth MacFarlane. I mean, the guests we've had, they're all like friends of mine and they're people who are always there. And shout out Laura Bailey, shout out Laura Bailey, Laura, Laura's a huge one. I was like freaking out and Travis, obviously just the whole gang. So many people. Um, and damn, I feel like I'm gonna get a text if I'm forgetting something. Like, fuck <laughs> you. But it's so weird that within 10 years, I went from being a super fan to being very close friends with so many of these people and then being in the second game, which was so cool. Um, and just an utter 
dream come true. Cause the thing is, I remember reading for Jesse and I look at, I look back now and I was like, Oh, I mean, he was, he was written a little differently, uh, when, when I read for it. Um, uh, but it was, it was, yeah, he, he's, he was like a manly guy and I was playing it like all Timmy well, and shit. Uh, but, uh, you're not being totally fair to yourself. Uh, again, it's not like I did you a favor. Like, Oh, he's logic. Let's put him in the game. Uh, you impressed our casting director, Becky. So Becky's you the should bomb. thank Becky, Be- Becky, uh, or again, thank yourself for having impressed her. And Jesse was then split up into like two roles. Then we combined and didn't make sense anymore. But I was like, we liked your audition so much. We're like, I have this other idea for you. I'm going to have Ellie kill you in this really yeah. brutal way. <laughs> and then Ashley literally almost took my head off. Do you oh, remember yeah. that? Cause yeah, I had yeah, the gun the, and you get the, the best the gun strap. in the game off my body, yeah. which, which, yeah, yeah. The strap, she like went and she grabbed it. And we did the take and I'm there like dead on the floor. And I just have this giant bruise, like immediately from, uh, the, the strap burning my neck. And she's, when she realized what was going on, she was like, Oh my God, Bob, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I was like, no, this is fucking awesome. I was like, you know, I get to tell the story now I'm telling the story and it's really cool. But yeah, no, that that's, that's something that actually stuck with me. Um, auditioning and not getting it. Cause this was, this was a time where I was just really like comparing myself to so many amazing people, people like Donald Glover, for example, mm-hmm. you know, who started as this comedian and then became this huge musician and then movie star and all these things. And so I was, you know, I was like mid twenties and just constantly looking at Instagram, just like we all have at some point and kind of comparing yourself to other people. Sure. And so I started doing, because I do, I love film. I love it. Like I love I love acting. I love being on a set. Like it's really special. I've had some, some pretty cool roles, but I realized also a lot of it's like circle jerking. It's kind of like who, you know, and like, cause I did a million and one auditions and like, I think I auditioned to be like a crackhead on like, <laughs> on like that Jessica Alba CSI show, whatever it was. And like, and I, and I like didn't get it. And I was like, dude, my parents are crack addicts. Like if there was anybody to play this role, it's me. And like, I didn't get that. And I get to get some stupid shit. And then I tried out for uh stranger things and the casting directors, they're like, we love you. It's just not right. And I, and I believe them now, especially because I understand that. So when I did that audition, I wasn't like heartbroken or anything. I, it was amazing that I had the opportunity to self-tape. It was so cool. And then when I didn't get it, I really wasn't like disappointed. I was just kind of like, well, this shit's not happening for me. And then fucking two years go by and I get a call. And Becky's like, we have a part for you. And I was like, what? I was like, are you serious? And she's like, yeah, can you make it? And it taught me a very, 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 very valuable lesson. Like, and I should have already known this as being a musician. It's like, bro, it's just, it doesn't happen overnight. And one, one opportunity, one role, one meeting can actually change your whole life. And that's, once again, that's where I feel like I'm at right now. I feel like there's a million people I know in my life and there's a million people I've been blessed to have, and I don't want anything from them, but where I'm at with music, it's just not the same. I will always make music. I love it. But to, to make music, like my heart, life depends on, like, I'm just so over that. And I'm, I'm not even searching for, I am welcoming this next passion or thing that will come and it will, when it will. How long from when you start thinking of an album, the first thought until it's done recording, how much time is that usually? You know, it's funny, dude. 
because I work very fast. <laughs> you can ask these guys, like I work so fast and the quality is there too, but it depends, man. It's like, you know, how long? Uh, how about this? How, what's the longest from the first thought to the final recording? Some albums have taken me years for sure, but typically I would say like a real album that I'm putting my everything into, it's about a year process, you know, cause I, especially with me with concepts, it's like, you know, I had this idea for the ballad of Rooster Jenkins takes place in 1863 about a runaway slave and da da da. And it's not even, that's not even out yet. And it's more of a radio play. And in my mind, I mean, I, I wrote the script, this is going to sound bad, but I wrote it in like an hour because you got to remember it's a radio play. It's like mm -hmm. 35 minutes or 35 pages. Um, but how long were you thinking about it? Because oh, to man, me, the, actually, the writing is not a good indicator because like I could write a script really fast, but then you ask me how long have I been thinking about it? Well, I was thinking about it for years. I actually was thinking about it for years. <laughs> actually, you know what? Yeah, that's, that's the writing is the thinking about it. But that's why I'm like kind of over the music part. Like wherever I go next, like, bro, I have, I'm sitting on so many scripts, bro. And I've, I mean, I've read, like, <laughs> I just had him come to my house a couple of months ago and I just like, yo, check out all these scripts. Like, bro, I have like a whole script called Jerry about a homeless comedian who mm -hmm. like tells jokes on Venice and then gets picked up and blah, blah, blah. I have this like sci-fi, what would you call it? Like a sci-fi play almost. It's a, it's a film called the protagonist about simulated reality. Like I've got all this shit. And then one day, and then I'd been thinking about doing, um, like a, a Western. And so, But when I decided to really do it, I was like, it's got to be Morgan Freeman. <laughs> it's like Morgan Freeman. Because think about it. If, you, if you're doing a, a radio play Orson Welles style, there's no camera. Right. You can't see anything. So you really need this golden voice. And I was like, who better than the voice of God to be the camera and kind of, you know, um, explain to the listener what's going on. So, yeah, but I get these ideas and it's honestly, I, okay. I don't, I don't want to say I'm sad. I shouldn't say that. But even talking about all these all these ideas and all these scripts and like, it just, I'm, I don't know. I'm having a mental breakdown right now. I'm kidding. I'm like, I'm like left with this uneasy feeling because I'm so enthralled by art that isn't just music. And I love music and I really want to do music. And I don't know where this is going. I don't know how the fuck we got into all this, but like for real, like I will always do music, but there's something more for me and I just don't know what it is. And I'm it's funny. Maybe, maybe we're going in opposite directions. Cause for me, like I, I've been playing guitar since I was 16, mm. but only other people's songs. Like I play Pearl Jam, I play Nirvana, Stone of the Pilots, a lot of nineties bullshit. Uh, <laughs> only my favorite bullshit. <laughs> only recently I've started writing my own songs and it's not for anybody but myself. And there's like a, a like a just a awesome outlet that I could like come up with this idea, come up with this riff and just write it down. And it's there for myself. Sometimes my kids can hear me play it and stuff, but that's it. And that's the joy I get out of it. And it's not for mass consumption or anything like that. And I've been really enjoying that. See, I have things like that. Chess is that for me. Mm. Like I'm obsessed with chess. It really makes me happy. I play like 30 games a day minimum. And, but there's something about my art. Like, I just really, I don't know. It's this medium. Like, I don't know how to explain it, dude. Like, I'm just very lost right now creatively. And it's actually the best feeling. It's mm. because it's like my whole career, I've always known what was next. Every time, every time, every album, I would have three, four albums ahead. 
with music done and shit, just sitting there, just waiting. And now this next album, I have, I'll have nothing after that. And I don't know. And, but like that feeling that you're talking about, about, you know, like playing the guitar, writing these songs is how I feel when I'm writing a script or like, I'm not even going to joke. I'm not going to lie with you. Like, Dude, I'll like act out scenes sometimes. I'll just be in the mirror like, what the fuck you looking at over here? <laughs> like just dumb things and little things that I do alone because I really love it. And I guess that's really all that matters, right? It's like if I write a bunch of scripts and nothing comes of it, that feeling. In- well, it's the, again, it's the, it's a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true, which is it's the, it's the journey, not the destination. And I think it's just, and that took me years to, 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 to appreciate that. Mm. Um, that it was like, I, I know when I was working on Last of Us 1, that was the first game I was a director on and it had to be perfect in every way. And I stressed myself out. Like I probably like shaved years of my life off Wow! because I was just, it had to be perfect. And I wasn't, I wasn't enjoying, that's why I'm saying like Last of Us, I mean, Uncharted 2 was more fun to work on than Last of Us 1, even though Last of Us was more of my baby. Um, it was really, really stressful. And I, and I know... I really stress people out around me because of that. Damn. But that's a, isn't that art though? You know what I mean? Like, isn't that what it's about? And I just, I think any great artist and business person, like they, you have to experience that. Like, especially if you're making something at such a scale, you know, of like a giant album, a giant video game, like something that will be remembered. And that when you're making it and you know how good it is or how good it can be, Mm. and you're doing everything in your power to make it as good as it is. And then you put it out and people say it sucks anyway. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's like, (laughs) well, you make it for enough people. People will say everything under the sun about it. Yeah, I agree. So, um, a question I have for you about the show. So, People, people would be like, um, cause I knew it was coming and I was really excited about it. And I was also nervous mm. because I was like, oh man, now uh, let's put it this way. When I saw Ready Player One in theaters, I was like, this shit sucks. I was like, fuck this movie. <laughs> I didn't actually like tweet that cause I'm not a douchebag, but I was like, I was like, no, yeah, just, I'll put that on my podcast. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'll just put it on my podcast. It's all good. Ernest Klein, That's my homie. See, that's <laughs> another thing. Like, so I was obsessed with uh, Ready Player One. I, I read it like 10 times in a year. Yeah. I'm a sicko. Like I read it, I knew, like, knew everything about it, somehow befriended the fucking author. So much so, if you if you uh, read Ready Player Two, and the thank yous next to Spielberg, you'll see my name, which is <laughs> kind of crazy. Anyway, flex. You got to flex a little bit in life. Okay, so um, I love this book, right? Watch the movie. Couldn't do it. I was like, what the fuck? And it was, it was a, such a great learning lesson too, because I, as, as a person who creates art, I'm very lenient with it. Like I, I don't really judge. I don't like to judge people shit too harshly, especially on a first listen or review or you know viewing or whatever. It's like really give it that opportunity. But I was like, fuck this shit. And months go by and I was reading a bunch of Michael Crichton and I read Jurassic Park for the first time. Mm. And I was like, Oh my God, the movie sucks. <laughs> like, like I was like, compared to this fucking. Maybe you just hate Steven Spielberg. No, that, I that's love the through Spielberg. Line here. Yeah, I love Spielberg. I actually met him one time. He was a gentleman. <laughs> very, very good. I, uh, he's a nice guy. So, but the thing is, is I really realized that um, in, in these manuscripts, you know, like there, there's just every detail 
it, it is, it is like a, its own universe between these pages. Like it's insane. And then I watched, I thought about how Jurassic Park is like a incredible movie. Oh, really? And I've been watching it since I was a kid. And I realized so many things on these pages cannot translate to the screen, period. So then I watched Ready Player One again. It was like, this is fucking amazing. Because like the, the opening car chase wasn't a car chase. It was just this young kid playing joust with a skeleton. Now, when you're reading it, you're like, this is the most enthralling thing ever. But it's just like, imagine that just a, a, a skeleton and some kid playing <laughs> a fucking video game for 30 minutes to open a Spielberg movie. No, it's not going to happen. So it, it actually really adjusted and, and helped me. And I, this was like 2018 with my own art and perception of art and also blah, blah, blah. So I was a little nervous with The Last of Us. Understandably. Because I, but I also had this perspective, this new perspective of appreciation and bro, I watched it with my wife and it was truly amazing. And I'm not just sucking your dick. I'd be very honest. Like sh I remember people asking me because they know how much I love the game. I literally have the safe codes tat tatted on my hand. I just got yesterday to the first game. Also, they're in your handwriting. Thank you very much for that. It's like when you, when you texted me, you're like, oh, send me the safe codes. I'm like, what the, what is he talking about? What safe codes? <laughs> and then it was like, oh, right. For the safes, the safe codes. Yeah, I was like, okay. oh, I'm not robbing a bank right now. <laughs> um, whoa. So a lot of people asked me, they were like, what's it like compared to the game? And I said that The Last of Us has to be my favorite adaptation, personally, um, that I've ever seen on screen. And to me, the show is like a 10 out of 10. The acting's wow. great. This is what I, and I, this is, it's a big deal. I would let you know, I'd be like, solid eight. I'd be like, solid eight. That's a great, that's great. Okay. It's my favorite adaptation. It's one of my favorite shows. And, um, that I've, that I've seen, but I tell everybody, I say, compared to the game, it's a five. Mm. And what I mean by that is the game is, you hear that Craig Mason, <laughs> the game is so much more detailed. So I asked myself why, right. And mind you 10 out of 10 show, right. But compared to this game and I'm like, why that's not me just trying to be some fucking nerd. Like it's not living up, you know, I've never touched a breast. Like, it's not like that. It's like, <laughs> What is it? And the only thing that the show, nobody, not you, nobody could ever capture are those moments walking in the middle of fucking nowhere or, you know, trudging through sewers that aren't scenes, that aren't cut scenes, that tell a story and allow you as the player to create, uh, to, to have an emo truly emotional connection. And that's why your games are amazing. And the fact that you could even truly give the viewer that feeling, um, you know, through the series is amazing. And so that's a feat that I, I was like, I was like, how's he going to be able to do that? And I think you did it. You, 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 in, in such a short time, when you really think about it, how many episodes was it? 10, nine episodes. Yeah. So it's nine episodes. It's a, you know, mini series. I mean, not really. I mean, whatever, but we just live, you know, in, in our days, like friends had 26 episodes, you know what I mean? Like you'd watch that. So to be able to so clearly and, and calculate in a, in a calculated manner, give me that same feeling 
it was really beautiful. And to see subtle changes like uh, Henry, right? His name's Henry. There's the Bill and Frank and Henry yeah. and Sam. And all that. And But to do it in a different way, um, I thought was really beautiful. But there will always be something about watching characters and being the character. Here's a question. Hmm. Which ring do you like better, the Japanese one or the American one? Well, I only ever saw... You only see the, the American, American one, okay? Because yeah. usually when you ask that people, they, they they'll pick one, mm. and you'll say which one did you see first, and it's the one they saw first is the one they like better. Mm. So uh, I wonder, have you seen the show first and yeah. then play the game? If, if you would, if you would say the reverse, I mean maybe. And mind you, that's no slight. Like, no, I'm, no, no, I'm, no I'm just I'm just very curious actually. Yeah. I, but I just we'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never know. But there's I don't know. I just love the. Just those little things, man. Like, well, there's certain things, you know, when we were making the show that I, we knew, and, you know, I have to thank so many people for that, for how amazing that show is. Um, most of all is Craig Mazin. It's like the, the key to making a great show is hire the best people. Yeah. The best people at TV uh, and make it at HBO. For that's, sure. That's, HBO that's, that's, that's the key to success. Yeah. They kill. Uh, they, and, yeah. and I think it helped that I worked on the film version that would have been awful. Would have been one of those bad adaptations had we finished that one. Because then even that's like, what, you got two and a half hours, maybe, you know what I mean? Not so, even. You got you yeah. got two hours max and uh, and the feedback I got was like, this will lead it down a bad oh, path. Oh, man. No, you guys, you, you, you really killed it. And I loved it. And all the CGI was so good, too, and the makeup. And but that's the... The reason we had such great CG. So there, there is like, there's so many shows being, there's so much content being made. Now there's a shortage of studios that could do good CG. Mm. And even within certain studios, you have teams that are better than other teams. Now we're making The Last of Us TV show. And all of a sudden, very specific teams want to work with us because they're fans of the game. And they wow. want to work on the TV show. That's crazy. Uh, and that's how we were able to get some of the best VFX teams because... The people in those teams were fans of the game and they wanted to be on the show. We had someone like uh, our um, uh, VFX supervisor, Alex, left ILM to come be a VFX supervisor to work on the show because of a fan of The Last of Us, which which blows my mind how crazy that is. The bloater, when you first see the bloater, I was just like, oh my goodness, it was so <laughs> crazy. Here's a real question. Can you eat 20-year-old Chef Boyardee? Could you? God, uh, probably not. Like, do you think? Because they do it in the show. Like, could you? You think it'd make you sick? My guess is it's probably, it's probably <laughs> gone bad. <laughs> okay, cool. So um, just a few more questions. Um, some good ones. What uh, makes you happy? Truly happy, not the PR bullshit version. <laughs> um, how do I not make this cliche? Uh, I have my tattoo present tense and it's like, you know, being present, but uh, that's not specific enough. Um, my kids, man, uh, I got, you know, I got to go to, when I, when I get to share either something they've done or I've done and I, I got to take them to Orlando to see the opening of Halloween Horror Nights for the last of us. And I got to walk through the house with them wow. and see how much they enjoyed it and enjoyed the rest of the park and everything. And like, you know, this like the thing I feel like I'm meant to do and the people I'm meant to be with. And when you combine those two things, it's something really magical. It's, it's hard to describe. Um, 
Yeah, th- these days it's it's um, even you know working on this new game and it's it's really ambitious. It's parts of it are really hard, but I've really kind of surrendered to knowing it's going to be really hard, knowing it's going to like stress members of the team out and like, how do I make this a joyous experience for myself and everybody else on the team? And there's moments where like, like, you know, we talked about Kurt, who was um, one of the game directors on Last Shout of Us. Shout out Kurt. He's the Shout boy. out Kurt Marganow, one of the game directors on um, Last of Us 2. He uh, was the game director on Lost Legacy, Uncharted, did a phenomenal job. Um, and he recently did something on this new game and really stepped up and like gave this like passion pitch and I was just I was so proud Mm. and uh and just seeing like other people rise to the occasion and surprising me in these really beautiful ways these days I get a lot of joy out of that and and helping mentor people and, and seeing them like express themselves through art um another thing that comes to mind is um you know it was recently the 10th anniversary of the last of us oh right and I'm this uh I'm an introvert and uh, my my partner at my job, uh, Allison Mori, who's the, been promoted recently to be studio manager, she was like, "You got to say something." And I'm like, "I don't know what to say." She's like, "You got to say something in front of the whole." And I, I have to tell you, I've I've now given like talks in front of hundreds of people. I'm I'm doing like these interviews, uh, accepted uh, awards. Uh, I, I get the most nervous talking in front of Naughty Dog. I don't know what it is. I think it's because I feel like they're often looking to me for like direction or inspiration. And I feel like I owe it to them. Mm. So I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say, man. This is, um, and I'm getting really nervous and I don't have anything. And she passes me the mic. And I'm like, so I start rambling for a while. I'm like, hey, congrats, everybody. It's been an amazing 10 years. Just all the bullshit. And then I'm like, um, you know, I don't know if you've all have done this. And I I said in this really awkward way, if like, if you ever run into like a fan of our game and you see how much it means to them, it's like, what a, what a, what what an awesome feeling that is. Like they connect to the characters or the gameplay or something. And then it hits me, this thing I'm going to say. And I'm like, and that's really cool. You know, meeting fans that love our game. So I'm like, and I start getting really emotional and I'm, I'm, I'm like getting emotional saying it here. And I'm like, and I'm like, but I know something even cooler. How many of you are here because of this game? And half the studio raises their hand. And I couldn't believe it. I yeah. got like so emotional because I remember playing Ocarina of Time, Metal Gear Solid, these games that have inspired me to want to make games, uh, to dedicate like my entire life to this thing. And then here are other people that have played this game that I worked on and it's like paying it forward in a way. I could raise my hand right now too, bro. <laughs> it's a real thing. And I, I, it's just, it was just like this amazing moment. Like, it's like, I, I could have never have predicted or like guessed or like, um, it seems like, like you're in a really great place in your life, man. I'm really happy for you. It's, it's, it's awesome to see that you're passionate and that you're happy and excited and you have your personal life and you have your professional life and it's real. it's a special thing, man. You should be really proud and and you're also, and I know you'll try to make a joke out of this, but you're so young. Like you're so young, you know, for what uh, you've will, will, Not a joke, but I will tell you, I just <laughs> got my first pair of progressive glasses, bifocals. So Nice. Welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah. Well, but look, man, I think, uh, I think it's, it's. You should be really proud of what you've accomplished because even you just like telling me this story, that's why I wanted to hear it. It's like, it's inspiring me. It's something I needed to hear because it's like, think about where you were 10 years ago. Think about where you were 10 years from then. 
And it's like, whoa, 20 years, obviously. But it's like, no, it's so crazy how there's moments, just moments, fleeting moments that could have never happened if you like, you know, took a left instead of a right or you didn't show up late somewhere or you did or this that just completely can alter um, where you're meant to be. And I feel like I'm there and I don't know what's coming. So hearing you talk about this just excites me and makes me feel even more um, secure in the unknown, you know, especially because I'm such a control freak. I like have to know everything and figure everything out. And um, this story and the way you're living your life now is, is very inspiring. So thank you for. And but, but this is not a kiss ass or anything, but uh, you know, even just having that dinner with you at Nobu the other night uh, and it was just, chatting and it was just kind of talking about frustrations we've had and yeah. some difficulty difficult things and you know you gave some really good advice and I'm just I'm really like appreciating these just little moments these little like intimate interactions we can get as intimate as you want and to. then once the cameras are off well, exactly. we'll get really intimate um yeah thank you for being my friend thank you for being here thank you for an awesome uh conversation and thank you a million times over for your art. I love you. I appreciate you. And um, I would not be the man I am today and the artist I am today without you. So thank you very much. Well, well thank you. Psych. No, Bob. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Let's get the fuck out of here. Right. See you guys next time. Goodbye. Au revoir. Farewell. Arrivederci. Ciao. Hey, what's up, guys? Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Logically Speaking. Please make sure you click the link and check out more things. Don't forget to subscribe. All those things, things like that. Don't forget. Peace.